0: Hello, young and profiters. Today we are playing a Yap Classic, my interview with internet marketing mogul Paul Getter. Paul is a serial entrepreneur and CEO of the Internet Marketing Nerds. He has spent over a billion dollars in ad campaigns for his clients and has helped scale numerous businesses to eight figures a year. He's worked with A-list clients like Ty Lopez, Grant Cardone, Lewis House, and Tim Story. In this episode, Paul reveals his top tips for building a strong personal brand online and his golden rule for paid advertising campaigns. We also talk about how to foster meaningful relationships on social media, how to use forms to qualify our leads, And why you should prioritize relationships over revenue. This interview is packed with evergreen gems on all things internet marketing. So I think you guys are going to love it. All right, let's get into it. Enjoy my conversation with Paul Getter. Hey, Paul, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Hala. How did I get on Young and Profiting? I, I'm like, I'm too old to be on Young and Profiting, but thank you very oh, much no. for having me here.
0: <laughs> oh, we actually have listeners of all ages, and I tend to interview people who are older than me and older than our listeners because you guys have the wisdom to share. And so there's no age limit on Young and Profiting Podcasts. Don't worry okay. about it.
1: Good, good, because I've been on Old and Profiting Podcasts before, but this is the first <laughs> time on Young and Profiting Podcasts. So well, thank you. For the invitation.
0: <laughs> of course, of course. Let's talk about everything marketing. So you are like a paid advertising guru, right? Um, we're both in the marketing world. So we have plenty to talk about. I think we're going to jive really well together. And so you've worked with super high profile guests like uh, Grant Cardone, Ty Lopez, Gary Vee. I mean, it's incredible you know, who you've had on your list of clients. And so we're going to get into that, how to network and how to reach those high profile people. But first, I want to talk about your come up story. You actually went to school and you had a degree in theology. So tell us about that and how you went from theology to marketing without any formal training.
1: Okay. Yeah. So uh, again, thank you very much for having me here, Holly. It's amazing to connect with you and your audience so, yeah, I got a degree in theology. And for those that don't know what theology is, a study of God, I went to Bible college and often called seminary. And one of the things that I quickly learned after graduating with a degree in theology, that it wasn't a very marketable degree. You fill out an application and say you got a degree in theology. People are like, okay, I don't know if you're going to work for us, you know, and things like that. I remember filling out an application one time, someone said, theology, isn't that the study of rocks? I'm like, no, that's geology. Uh, so, yeah, I... I brought up my um, father was a minister. And really, if someone gets a degree in theology, they're not necessarily going to uh, school to figure out how to make money. It's more of a personal development type of path. But quickly after graduating with a degree in theology, I realized, hey, it's not very marketable. And then I kind of found myself, I was always involved in tech or nerdy type stuff. And so I just kind of begin to explore. At this time, it was more of kind of like building websites and search engine optimization and things like that.
0: Yeah. And so you first, I think Facebook is like your main platform or at least used to be, we'll get into maybe what you're using today, but you first got onto it because you created a Facebook page for your church. Tell us how you did that and how that opened your eyes to the possibilities of what Facebook could do.
1: Yeah, so you you do amazing research. I, you know how how do you know these We're, details I, about you know me?
0: what we don't screw around here at <laughs> this, Young and Profiting Podcast. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I mean you, you found the great details. So so yeah, when I one of my friends was going off to college and they said, Hey, you need to get on Facebook. And I remember at this time, Facebook was kind of like games, they had Farmville and silly things like that. And I was like, I don't need to get on that. That's just a waste of time. And eventually I caved in and got on Facebook, started a Facebook. And what year was this? It's like around? Eight, 1870. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it's probably around 2008 or so, 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And so it was Facebook was in its very beginning infancy stages. And again, the... Trend then was these micro games inside of the platform, and you could play games endlessly, uh, and it was less socializing, more about playing games. But I, I eventually I caved in, got on Facebook, and started playing around and um, building Facebook pages. And I noticed that a few businesses would have Facebook pages. And so I was like, huh, you know, I, I really didn't have a business at this time, but I thought, well, maybe set up a Facebook page for our church. And so I set up a Facebook page for our church and just, you know, the picture and a little bit of information and everything like that and put a couple videos on there and stuff. And I remember a couple weeks later, I went to church and there was this new family there. And I asked them, I was like, where did you hear about us at? And they said, oh, we saw your Facebook page. And it was like a light bulb moment for me. I was like, whoa, okay, these are real people. Uh, They found out about us from Facebook. They showed up. And it was then I realized, okay, Facebook could be a platform that if used properly could help out a lot of businesses. And so at that point, I began to kind of like, dabble around and you know connect with friends that had businesses and say, hey, you know, you need to get on Facebook and you know, I saw a business opportunity at that point.
0: Yeah. So this is really interesting to me because I think it's important for my listeners to understand the need to take the opportunities in front of you. So for example, you were really into your church, you had a theology degree and you connected the dots, you realize that, you know, hey, I can start this Facebook page. And then your passion for starting marketing and working on Facebook kind of outgrew your passion for theology, right? And so it's just so cool that you, you took that experience and oftentimes people don't like they're too afraid to learn something new and just to like take on a new experience, and I feel like that's the only way you can really find your true passion is to actually take those experiences.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think to better word it, you know, my passion in theology and church, my my faith, my relationship for that, I uh, found a place where I could equally connect those, and and as I mentioned. A degree in theology isn't very marketable from a monetary standpoint, and you don't do it for that reason. It's kind of like someone that has a, a degree in bird watching. Well, you may not make a whole lot of money in bird watching, but if you built a course or training or something like that in bird watching, well, there is an opportunity. So it was a, a perfect fit where I could join the passion and a business, connect them together, and it could grow from there.
0: Totally. So let's talk about organic reach. When you first started on Facebook, it was like the wild, wild west, huge organic reach. I mean, LinkedIn was kind of like that a couple years ago. But like, tell us about Facebook. What was the organic reach like when you were first on it? And why does that happen? Why do platforms lose organic reach over time?
1: Yeah. So it it, it seems like every platform um, starts out like that. During that initial phase, when the organic reach was very high, you could build Facebook pages. You know, we would build Facebook pages from zero to a million in a month, maybe two months. And again, the organic reach was incredible I remember when things would go viral, I had a a small page, which the uh, page that I had that, again, I started building as like hobbies for fun. uh, The name of the page was called I Love Jesus. And I posted something on there. It only had 200,000 likes on it, but I would post something on there and it would always get at least 200,000, 300,000 likes. And I remember as it grew, it would get 200,000, 300,000 shares on post. So you could imagine how the organic reach was completely different back then and then as you know things just slowly slowly started to go down. And the reason why that happens is because of the audience on a social media platform, it grows. And so they want to have a more intelligent Timeline. So you know, if you're following five thousand people, well, it's not necessarily the best timeline that all five thousand people their content shows up. So they begin to throttle the engagement, and the algorithm shows you what you engage with the most because they feel like that's more effective. So as a platform grows for you to see and interact with the stuff that is most important for you, they prioritize. You know, content based upon your engagement and what's relevant to you at that moment versus a true, just organic reach.
0: Got it. So it's more like they they keep changing their algorithm to make it more personal to you. And then wouldn't you say also like more content creators, more competition? Like as people find out something's getting big organic reach, all the content creators go flock there. And then it's just more competition too. Yeah, right? so
1: so it is. It's it's just the more people that get onto the platform, the more that they have to change that that algorithm to Meet what you want to see or what they think. And that's that's why people oftentimes hate algorithms. I call them algorithm monsters is because they're like, well, I'm not really seeing what I I want to see or I'm posting a lot of the, most of the times the people that complain about the algorithm is the content creators because. Their content isn't being seen by as many people they think should be seen. And so, yeah, it 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 puts you in a position where content and what you do and the quality is more important than just putting out, you know, silly, meaningless memes or something like that.
0: Totally. So you've interviewed a lot of people that I've interviewed before. I'm sure there's so much overlap in terms of the people who you've had as a client and who I've interviewed and Ty Lopez was actually your first big break. How did you end up landing that big client and what is your advice in terms of reaching really high level people in terms of your networking?
1: Yeah, so that that's a great question. A lot of times as far as notable individuals, Ty Lopez was kind of the, one of the big names that I connected with initially, but Prior to that, I think that there was a lot of big wins. You know, it's kind of like the iceberg theory, like, okay, there was a lot going on here before I started working with Ty Lopez. And of course, Ty Lopez, when I first started working with him, was this was, you know, six years ago or so. You know, he was less prominent than he is now, still a very successful individual and doing big stuff. But I had a lot of big wins. Before that, where I had proven my skill and I was getting results for other clients, and really how did it happen, is it was a a word-of-mouth referral. It's my understanding. I don't know all the details to it, but it somehow... One of the clients that I was working with was at the barber shop, talking to the barber, and you know, just regular conversation was going on. How's business going? Is like, oh, great, you know, things are really growing. I'm working with this guy over in Florida, and he's been doing this, and it, you know, this this guy was a client of mine, and he was talking to the barber about it. And that was the extent of the conversation. Well, the next person in the barber seat was Ty Lopez. It was either Ty Lopez or someone on his team. They got talking, and next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call. And I didn't know who Ty Lopez was, and it was kind of a different field of work that I was doing. Again, at this point, I was helping people grow their social media, grow their Facebook page, grow help monetize their presence and things like that. And so I got a phone call from a guy. Hey, you know, I heard you were working with so-and-so. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. And I'm just answering questions, just telling them what I'm doing and stuff. And he told me, well, this is what we're doing. And I pulled up their profile, started looking at it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can cut your costs probably by 80 90%. And, you know, and it wasn't anything that I was, I just thought, Yeah, I could do that. They're doing it wrong. That was one of the things that I learned really quickly is a lot of people were doing marketing in the early days that they were running ads, but there was no real system or uh, Facebook had it where you could just like click a button, launch an ad, and it it was going. So a lot of people would just do that automatic ad population. Well, it wasn't the best uh, way to do it. And so I told him, yeah, I can get your cost 80, 90% down. And the call ended in about 15, 20 minutes later, the individual told me, they said, hey, my brother Ty wants to know if you could fly out to California tomorrow and have a conversation with us. I'm like, "Oh, this is strange. Want to fly me out there tomorrow? And I was like, Oh, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. And uh, so next thing you know, I'm sitting in Ty's office talking with him. That was his his brother, Ben, that I initially had a conversation with. And I just had my little iPad there. I'm like, yeah, so this is what you should do. This is what you're doing. And I remember at the end of the conversation, Ty was like, hey, Paul, you know what? I'm Pretty sharp at marketing. I could probably figure out how you're doing this, but I don't want to waste my time. I want to hire you. When can you start? And I was like, Well, as soon as I go back to the hotel, I can set up the ads. And so went back to the hotel, set up the ads, and I remember an hour or two later, I took a screenshot and showed them. Okay, this is what you were doing. This is what you're doing now. And you know, cost per click had dropped 90% using um, the method that I was using. He's like, Okay, let's. Let's go. (laughs) So that was kind of how I got got connected with Ty Lopez.
0: Cool. Well, it goes to show the importance of relationships, right? You got it through a client referral and making a good impression on everyone is so important. And you actually often say relationships over revenue, right? So what does that mean exactly?
1: Yeah. So here's the thing is a lot of times people, they in business. And I think maybe it's a natural tendency is to, how can I say it, just chase the money? You know, what can I do to make money? And that's how we try to conceptualize a business is how to make money. And I think in, in the infancy stages of a business, that is like, okay, what can I do to pay the bills? What can I do to make money? And so you're trying everything. and But when you reverse it and you say, how can I help people? How can I build relationships? Granted, that is a longer process. And, I, and I, I've... I've done the reverse where it's like, what can I do to make money? And it's like, uh, you know, being an affiliate or doing, you know, um, ClickBank and things like that. And you make money, but you're not really helping. You're just making money. And so the thing about making quick money is it disappears as quickly as it comes. But when you build relationships with people and you authentically want to help people, then that goes so much further. That's It lasts longer. And I had a lot of my coaching students or clients during all of this craziness that we experienced in 2020 reach out to me, Paul, Paul, what do I do? What do I do? You know, uh, just kind of nervous and apprehensive. And I just told them like, help people, help people. You, you might have to help people in a different way now. But if you help people, you will always be in business and the money will come from there.
0: Yeah, I completely, completely agree. And it's one of the best ways to like even get a mentor is to just offer help and and to help people and to just always be a value and provide service. So I, I totally agree there. Do you have any networking hacks or tips or a cool networking story that you can share with us in terms of like a scrappy way that you got to meet someone or get somebody like get your foot in the door in terms of a
1: client? Yeah, so a, a couple different things. Obviously, when it comes to social media, you're one DM away from anybody you want to connect with. Really. I mean, that's you can meet anybody. It just takes some persistency. So I do this and people oftentimes find this uh, peculiar that I would do this, but I will message personally message 20, 30 people a day, people that I want to connect with, build relationship or just someone doing cool stuff. And so I do that. I personally send messages to them tell them, you know, I like their content. They're doing amazing things. And leave it at that. I don't go for like, hey, I want to work with you. I want to do I just, you know, build a relationship. And then the ask might come later down the road. It might be a week. It might be a month. Who knows? But I just build relationships. I comment on their content i i build a relationship with them on social media and you know i've had amazing people respond to messages that i've sent them and so that's a great way to build a relationship a lot of times when it comes to connecting with higher profile people whether it's a list celebrities or big name influencers uh, sometimes it's easier to connect with someone that is connected to them first Versus connecting with them directly. So you kind of watch, you know, they have friends, they have people, maybe it's that person that is always commenting on their posts and um, getting a response. Or you just kind of research and look who's connected to them because it's, it's often difficult To get connected to that person that you really want to get connected to. But if you connect with people that are connected to them, then it can naturally open up to building a relationship with them. But uh, a great way, and I've done this and, and I still do this is you find that that big influencer number 1 you have to have a skill that is of value to help them you got to be able to add value to their situation but you just connect with them and say let's say for example you're a graphic designer reach out to them and say hey you know i would love to help you out when you're graphic designer is it okay if i make you you know 10 images no charge help you out maybe your video editor, whatever your skill set is. So volunteer that for free. And then what that does is that opens the door for a conversation to get started. If your skills are good, it will just go further from there.
0: Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me but do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace helped me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me, I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room, even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Yeah. I love that advice. And I think that it's such an easy thing for people to do, especially if like if you're in college or something like that, and you're looking for a mentor or somebody you can intern for. I think that's the way to go is to just use whatever skills you have and offer them something for free and see if, if that gets them uh, talking to you. So totally agree there.
1: Yeah. It's it's building relationship. It's helping them. And again, number one, your skills have to be good because if you're doing graphic designs or whatever it is, and it's not good, then it doesn't, then. You know, exactly. You, They're just going to be
0: like, well, I don't want you to work uh, yeah. for me. No, that's okay. Yeah. Hone, hone your skills first. I totally agree. Totally agree. So let's talk about personal branding. So at some point you were behind the scenes and then you decided that you wanted to kind of come out and and really start your personal brand. So what triggered you wanting to start your personal brand, and then how did that influence your business later on?
1: Yeah, so when it comes to personal branding, I often look back and think, man, I wish I would have started this sooner. But it was, I was kind of content with just helping other people build their brands, helping other businesses. And it wasn't until individuals like Ty Lopez would kind of like, pull me out and say, hey, you know, this is a guy that's been helping me. I've been working with him, invite me to speak at masterminds and conferences and stuff. And so it's just kind of, you know, if it wasn't for individuals like that, pulling me out and saying, hey, he's been helping me on this, and I would probably would have been satisfied just staying behind the scenes. But I think you do have to look at Sometimes people, they are hesitant about building their own personal brand because they don't want to come across as arrogant or, you know, just me, me, me and stuff. But if you can sincerely help people, then all you're doing when it comes to building a personal brand is getting people's attention on you so you can show them how you can help people. So when it comes to building a personal brand, there's so much benefit of doing that because it is when you build a personal brand Whatever you connect yourself to, it will grow. So it's not just about a job or being employed by someone else, but you are building in your own personal. personal brand gives you a few things. It gives you longevity. So a brand, whether it's personal or business brand, gives you longevity. It gives you a longer lifespan in that. Then it gives you loyalty. People are loyal to brands. They connect with personal brands and business brands. So loyalty. And then it gives you legacy. When everything's done and you fold up the chapter and you want to move on, you can pass on a brand, a personal brand or a business brand on to somebody else that can carry it on. So those are kind of like the the three L's of personal branding, loyalty, legacy, and longevity. So yeah, like Shaq, I was just walking through the mall the other day, and I see posters and cutouts of Shaq. And he he's one of these guys that he was an athlete. Everybody knew him as an athlete. But now he is a huge personal brand if he wants to endorse general car insurance. He's the face of that. If he wants to do Frosted Flakes, he's the face of that. Headphones, he's the face of that. Just so many different things. So if you have a good, strong personal brand, you're not limited to just marketing or just, you know, one specific field. But whatever you attach yourself to, people want to be connected to it also.
0: Yeah. I totally get that, totally agree. I often call it a transferable asset. So no matter where you go, you can go bring your personal brand. And for me, like I grew my personal brand on LinkedIn and I've never felt more secure, like in terms of job security, because it's like everybody just wants to talk to you, network with you, there's just so many opportunities. So I would encourage everyone to start building their online personal brand. Attention like if you is have currency. one, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so how much money would you say that you've spent over the years in paid ads, like your clients' budgets and things like that? Like, what would you say-
1: yeah, so I can tell you this, it has been over a billion dollars that we have not obviously not my money, but I' um, clients and you know different companies that we have worked with. you know we've done campaigns where people are spending tens of millions of dollars a month on ads. We've worked with companies that spend a hundred million dollars in a few months on ads. So yeah, over 10 years, Um, a few big clients, it adds up really quickly.
0: Wow. So over a billion dollars in ads, what pops in my mind, you know, as a marketer too, is experimentation. Like, man, you've done a lot of experimentation over the years if you had a billion dollars that you've been running ads on. So like when it comes to like all the learnings that you've done, you've ran so many campaigns, like what are the golden rules in terms of paid ads right now. Is there anything like I know the platforms keep changing, the level of targeting keeps getting more micro, but like what are the red threads that you see like over the years? You've been doing it for a decade.
1: Great great question. So this is something uh, I think it's kind of the 101 of marketing, but people they think that it doesn't apply when it comes to digital marketing. A catchphrase or a word that people use all the time is disruptive. So it has to be disruptive. So here's the challenge about being disruptive in online marketing. And I've seen this and I've been kind of like the catalyst of trends that uh, happen on social media and running ads. So this is what happens is a marketer has a cool idea or a new style or something that they start running an ad and it's disruptive. And it all of a sudden, man, this is doing amazing because maybe it's the color, the style, the types of videos, the format, all of these things, you know, you're always tweaking because you want people when they're scrolling, it's like, whoa, that catches my attention.
0: Stop the scroll, right? Yeah, stop stop the the scroll.
1: scroll. And so that's the challenge on social media is you wanna stop the scroll. So. As someone that is innovating and really pushing the envelope on stuff, that you always want to be testing what catches people's attention. So what happens is you put together something and you do it and it starts working. You're like, oh, man, amazing. This is disruptive. This is getting a great click-through rate, awesome results. Then other marketers, they start seeing it like, whoa, man, that's doing awesome. That really caught my attention. And so guess what they do? is they start doing the same thing. Yeah, and they start to copy it. And next thing you know, what you were doing six months ago that was disruptive, you've got a thousand other marketers that are doing the exact same thing. So it's no longer disruptive. It's camouflaged into everybody else's ads. So that's the challenge is you always have to do. So I've seen this, like there used to be a time when I almost laugh about this, but people would run ads Ads where they would have a red outline on their ad, on the picture. There was a red outline and then there was a green outline. So it was like, okay, this would make it stand out more. And then everybody started doing red outlines. In and then it was just like, it became annoying to people. It stopped catching their attention and it started annoying them and everybody stopped doing that. But then it goes into a different trend. But now I've seen recently and, you know, like, Five years later after a trend, people are doing something that was popular five years ago because people stopped doing it. So it's kind of one of those things that you you always have to look at what other people are doing and I guess be a contrarian and don't do that.
0: That's really good advice. And I think that it's advice that is evergreen. You know, we can use it now and ten years from now, it's still true. And I totally agree. You need to make sure your stuff stands out if you wanna, you know, get any attention on social media, whether that's organic or paid. How about data tracking like you're you're in this space you've probably targeted on a million different things. Is there things that we just like little known ways that our data is being tracked that you can talk
1: about? Yeah so here here's the thing I remember when my old buddy Mark uh, Mark Zuckerberg was before. Congress and they were questioning him about how the data is used and everything like this, what you have to understand is that Facebook is just one point where data is collected. And so he can answer questions like, hey, does Facebook do this? And he's like, "Uh, no, we don't do that. And the, the answer is, right, they don't do that. But they're partnered with a thousand other companies that do that. And so Facebook isn't doing it, but this other company that they're partnered with is doing it. So, you know, it it becomes a slippery slope. So data is being tracked every, and it's not just online. It's when you go to Walgreens, you got your little Walgreens card. Data is being tracked about you. You ever you ever find it interesting when you go to Walgreens and they print out your receipt, and then there's coupons that you receive that are exactly aligned with your spending history? It's because Walgreens is tracking. Uh, if you go to a car dealership, you buy a car. When you sign those documents, you're being tracked. Your information is being given to them, and car dealerships. It's more than just selling cars for them, but they are selling information about you. So everything that you do in one level or another, it is being tracked. So, you know, for a consumer, that might be something that is it's startling to understand that. You know, there's probably 50,000 or more attributes about you, whether it's your, you know, your age, your income level, your spending habits, the sites that you go to. There's so, so many variables like we could set up an ad that would say, hey, I want to target. A single man that lives in Los Angeles, that has a bachelor's degree, that makes over $100,000, that lives in this zip code, that likes cats. Matter of fact, that likes Siamese cats. And anyways, we could set up an ad that would target a person on that level. So for a consumer, that's something that would make them a little bit nervous. But for a marketer, we're like, yeah, you know, that's great. (laughs) So it's a double-edged sword. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So is there any sort of like line that you have in terms of ethics and paid ads and personalization and targeting? Like, is there anything that you're like, we can't go there? Or do you feel like, you know, sky's the limit when it comes to data tracking and targeting? And and what are your thoughts on that? Is there any like kind of like line in the sand that you draw?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think that in Facebook does have policies in place that does not permit you to target people on certain attributes you know gender ethnicity things things of that nature uh, so I think that those are good guidelines to follow that you're not going to be targeting people based on specific the personal details so yeah there, there is a, a line obviously marketers are always find a way around these policies. But again, Facebook finds out about it. They shut them down and things. So a lot of times the people that complain about the policies that Facebook or the other ad platforms have is because they're trying to run that that gray line. They're trying to do it the easier way versus put in extra work, build a personal brand, work hard. They're trying to get the quick money. So policies that are put in place are normally for the good and um, they keep good marketers good and keep the bad marketers out of the industry.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. So paid ads are you know, the front end of a campaign, right? And then what happens after that? So a lot of people who listen to the show, they're not, they're not marketers. So they don't know anything about funnels and, and things like that. So can you explain what a funnel is and maybe some of the core components of a funnel?
1: Yeah. So so basically it's a journey. It's a path that you take. And sometimes the path might happen in, you know, immediately on your initial online visit you connect with an ad and you go through a path very quickly. Other times the journey, it might be a day, a week, a month, a year, but that's basically what it is. It's a path and the path might start out. You see that cool ad, someone talking about something that resonates with you. And so it might be an ad. I'll use myself as an example. Before this call, I was actually making um, video ads. And so I start out by calling out the person. Hey, are you a coach? You're a consultant. Are you an entrepreneur wanting to take your business to the next level? Well, I want to talk to you about. And so I'm calling out the individual with an ad. They click on that ad and it takes them to a landing page, or the front end of my funnel. And so that's going to be a page that is, you know, has a, a hook, a headline talking to them about, hey, maybe you're struggling. A lot of times we hit the, the problems that they're having. Are you having a problem getting applications for your high ticket sales? Well, we have the answer for it. Matter of fact, we, we use a, a, a simple outline here and it's answering questions. I got my notebook here that was doing and It's a few questions like who is the person? What is their problem? How we can solve that problem? And and so we're asking them questions in this and we show them the solution. So initially they might enter their name, their email, phone number, and they're going to be put into a list. And They might be pushed to fill out an application, to set up a call. Um, There might be an initial, we call it a tripwire, where they would buy something, a low ticket entry. Again, sometimes people try to go for the big sale quick, and it doesn't always work. We've seen individuals that we work with that they're spending a lot of money on trying to sell, let's say, for example, a webinar where the price is $1,000, and they're just not making any money, but we'll put something in the front. um, Again, we call it a tripwire where it's $7, $20, and it just, so we get people to come in here and buy something, you know, a micro-commitment, and then if they like that content, a day later, two days later, however long it might take, they'll go to a webinar, they'll watch this, and then they'll later make a $1,000 purchase. And then those people that go into a $1,000 purchase, maybe they want to go faster. Maybe they want some one-on-one attention. Maybe they want personal, customized coaching. They can set up a call where they'll get on a, a discovery call or a strategy call and talk to a specialist about how we can help them. And then they're offered coaching programs, stuff of high tickets. But it's a journey. It's kind of like, you know... Initially get connected building that relationship and then okay we have this and then you take them and again depending on the product the offer it might be something that it goes very quickly or typically the higher the price of it the longer it's going to take for them to go from point A to Z. But it is – it's a journey. We call it a funnel because, you know, funnels shape like this and you have people come in at the top and then it just slowly goes down. And then, you know, you – less likely the people are going to come down to here, but the people that come down here, those are going to be the higher value people. So that's that's the world of funnels. Yeah,
0: that's (laughs) an excellent – explanation. And I've never really heard of a tripwire. I never heard of that that concept. I've heard about people giving like free eBooks and stuff like that. But I love I love what you said about offering something like a micro commitment. That's really smart. So really cool stuff there. And then the purpose of the form is to better qualify your leads, right? So that you can ask specific questions and maybe target them more. So like, what's the purpose of the form?
1: Yeah. So when, when you're having someone fill out an application, I, I'll give you an example of a A funnel that we have in our world is it would be a $7. I have a book or an audio book talking to people about marketing. And, you know, I hit all the pain points. Hey, I'm going to teach you how to do this, this and this. And it's $7 for that. Well, then, As they go to check out, there's going to be a little box that says, hey, for $27 more, I'm going to throw in all of these PDFs and all of this awesome stuff that is just, you know, they're going to look at that like $27, is that all? And they're going to feel just, they have to click that button because the value is just an irresistible offer. So for $27, they get that. And then a person is going to go after that, they might say, hey, you know, We've got this one-time offer for you that I'm going to teach you how, you know, the secrets of, let's say, for example, Instagram growth, growing your following. Normally, this is $300, but if you act now, I'm going to give it to you for $99. And it's a nice video explaining to them the offer. And again, this this is before they even click the final checkout button. They're going to get that. And th- then that kind of concludes if they say yes or no on that. Maybe they say no no to it. We'll come back and say, hey, you know, how about we break it up into three payments of $40 for you? Instead of one time 99, we'll break it up into three. And then we try to get them to say yes again. If they say no, we want to go try to get them to say yes again. And so, again, there's kind of a, a little work involved there. Then they check out they're done and... After they check out, the thank you page is a video saying, hey, you know, you're a coach, you're a consultant, you have a business, maybe you want to take it to the next level. This is what we're offering. And it's a nice video talking to them about how we might be able to help them with their coaching consulting business. If you're interested, there is an application below that you can fill out and set up a complimentary 30-minute strategy session with one of our experts. So they fill out this application. And, yeah, the application asks them qualifying questions. Code, when, whenever you see free strategy session, that is code for sales call. Just, you know, plain and simple, plain and simple. Any, anytime you see that in people's bio, free strategy session, that means sales call. Granted, there's going to be a lot of value given in those strategy sessions where we pick apart what you're doing and give you value. But at the end of it, they're going to say, hey, you know, we offer a coaching program, a mentorship program, and, you know, this is what we offer and you make the decision from there. I don't I don't like high pressure like oh, you know you got to buy 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 that's never a good way to work with someone. But the application it's going to ask some qualifying questions to see if they would be a good fit, if they're one of those people like uh, like I even ask on some of our applications, do you realize the importance of investing in yourself. And the answer, answer number one that they can say is, I don't have any money and I think I should get everything for free. So we ask them that question. And then the second answer is, yes, I I understand, but I'm on a limited budget. I can only invest between this amount and this amount of money. Then the third answer is going to be something like, I mean, business, I'm a serious entrepreneur, and I understand the importance of really investing in myself. And so so those are qualifying questions where if if someone is saying, hey, I want everything for free, and people do fill out applications and say, I want everything for free, chances are they're not going to be qualified for a coaching program that we would offer to them. So yeah, it's about the application is qualifying them.
0: We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, there's one name that always stands out, Shopify. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage. And even the, did we just hit a million orders stage? And if you're in that, I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI super powered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. I wanna talk to all you employers out there and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all scrappy hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast and hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are gonna roll up their sleeves. But luckily when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate This offer ends on March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com slash profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. Yeah. What a great explanation. I think you gave so many good gems. So I work in marketing. I have a podcast marketing agency and a lot of my, I don't do click funnels for my clients. So like, I don't set that up. I don't, claim I'm an expert. I'm not, you know, I'm an expert in organic marketing. Like that's what I'm really good at. Right. And everybody always asks me like, so many people are so misinformed and they don't know where to start. Where, what do you advise people? Like, where do you advise people to start? Like, should they just get click funnels and and kind of like do something out the box like that? Like, what is your advice to either companies or people who really want to get their funnels? Right. Cause I get this question 20 times a week. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've seen that and I've worked with companies that they reach out to us and they say, we've got this college grad from Ivy League school, has a degree in marketing, and they don't know what they're doing. They honestly, you know, the, the danger in, in some just being stuck in college academics is that you can go to college and what you learn there is Two or three years outdated in what's working. Um, when it comes to internet marketing, it's really you have to be studying it every week. You know, l- like you mentioned, there's new policies coming out that. You didn't learn about this in college last year. So you have to be continually learning. You have to have mentors. You have to have groups that you can work with, masterminds that you can always be learning when it comes to internet marketing in particular. Granted, there's probably some professions that you you can learn and, hey, it's good to go for a long period of time. But internet marketing is not one of those things that that's true. You always have to be learning. So there's a lot of great platforms that work for things the the best way to figure out what's working is find that individual that is the best of the best in the industry find those funnels find those websites find the experts see what they're doing and model it on um, success leaves a trail you know we call it in the industry funnel hacking where basically you find the funnels that are working good look at what they're doing And, you know, if this if this individual is making X amount of dollars, they've done a lot of testing, they've done a lot of work. And so you just begin to model that you don't copy it or, you know, just completely do exactly what they're doing. But you model it. Like, for example, if their headline is over here on this side in this color, put your headline this side, this color. If they're using this color button, use this color button. If they're using this type of video, use that type of video. And so you model what they're doing because these big companies, They've spent millions of dollars testing and split testing. So the quickest way to get to where they're doing is look at what they're doing and model what they're doing.
0: That's super, super smart and really practical advice. Thank you so much. Let's switch gears really quickly. Let's talk about side hustles. So you wrote an online book about 27 side hustles. I'm obviously a proponent of side hustles. I grew my business on the side of Disney streaming for two years to multi-six figures. So love side hustles. I think everyone should have one, especially if they're a hustler. So why do you love side hustles? And are there any that you highly recommend?
1: Yeah. So here's the thing, is in probably in September, October of 2019. I always have people come to me like, Hey, Paul, will you teach me how to do what you do? Teach me how to do what you do. And I'm like, "Ah, you got a couple of years, you want to sit down and um, learn, we can do that. But I realized what they were asking is, can you teach me how to that laptop lifestyle, work from home, make money. And I know when I first got started in internet marketing, is there's so many different ideas and people saying, do this, do this. And I tried so many different things and I didn't know, okay, is this real or is this just a scam or, and so it was just a difficult road to figure out what to really do. So I put this book together to really show people, this is the stuff That works these what I did is I actually interviewed, I don't know, probably 60, 70 people that were make legitimately making money online, not these get rich quick schemes or anything like that, but people that were legitimately doing things like, for example, I interviewed a 17 year old boy that while he was in high school made over $20,000 in one year. Now, $20,000 for the person that is fascinated by the guys driving the Lamborghinis and everything like that, $20,000 a year doesn't sound too glamorous, but $20,000 a year to the average person will change their life. So especially if it's a side hustle, this is somebody that is doing this in school. So I interviewed him and said, hey, you know what, What are you doing making $20,000 a year, 17 years old in high school? Obviously, if he could do it, the stay-at-home mom could do it. The guy that is working 40 hours a week that's got, you know, 5, 10 hours extra a week that he can put into it, they can do it. So, again, that's what I wanted to learn in interviewing these people. So I interviewed a lot of people that were doing things. Some were making $10,000, $20,000 extra a year. Some people were making a significant amount of money doing this. A lot of times what happens about a side hustle is a side hustle, if you get good at it, can be turned into a full-time hustle. So uh, when someone just starts to learn how to make the first $100 online, they can replicate that. So that's what I did is I interviewed a lot of people you know, that we're doing cool things and compiled it, put it into a book, made some videos and everything like that. And just trying to give people a blueprint here. Here's some cool things that are working. Try them out. It doesn't have to be too complicated. I mean, it's, you do have to work. I think that's sometimes the misconception is people want to like just click a button and money starts printing, there's no <laughs> work involved. And, uh, you know, don't we wish we could all do that? I do believe in passive incomes, but there's no income that doesn't demand some work, whether it's in the At front, least up front. It, yeah, know, yeah, you know, you have to do some work initially somehow. Uh, so I'll give you a few of the ideas. That I saw I'm like, man, this is amazing. So the 17 year old boy that I interviewed, this is what he was doing is he put an ad on Craigslist saying, do you have an old cell phone that you want to get rid of? I will buy it from you for cash and people would respond to it and he would buy their phone and he knew based on this model, you know, the shape, the condition of it and everything like that, that it was worth, let's say, $100, where he would buy it from this person for $50 and then place it on Facebook Marketplace, eBay, something like that for the going rate of $100. So it's just basically a quick arbitrage. He would buy it from someone for $50, knew the value was $100, and there he's made himself. So you do that a few times a week, a few different cell phones, then you've made yourself $20,000 a year. Not a whole lot of work involved, not very complicated to do, but it's real money. It's real money. So I've seen that. I've seen individuals that will go to thrift stores and find something at a thrift store that like for example books there's there's an entire world of they call them book flippers and it's really amazing they will go to thrift stores, libraries that are getting away old books and stuff and they will buy the books and you know some of these stores you can buy a book for 50 cents and they buy the book for 50 cents and then they will put it up on Amazon or there's other websites and they might sell it for, 10 or 15 dollars. I met individuals and interviewed individuals that bought a book at a garage sale for $2. And it was actually a rare book and they sold it for thousands of dollars. So it's kind of like treasure hunting, you know, digital treasure hunting, but it's it's real money. Another one is I interviewed a lady, she had graduated from college, and she was in between things was wanting to go back, get her master's degree, and but she enjoyed traveling. And so what she did is she taught children overseas conversational English. There's websites that you can sign up on. And she told me, she's like, a couple hours a day, I go onto this app, and I just have basic conversations with young students wanting to improve their English. And she does that four or five times a week and she makes a couple thousand dollars a month doing that. So again, there's there's real things. There's sites like Upwork where you can yeah. if you've got a skill set, there's sites like Fiverr that again, I when when I first got involved in internet marketing. I remember putting gigs up on Fiverr and Upwork and other sites like that. And people would hire me to do that. So if you've got a skill set or you can put in some time, there's a lot of different ways that you can make money online.
0: Yeah. And that just it made me think of an idea. So not only arbitraging products, but also services. So there's people who work in India and the Philippines and they might be good at graphic design. You could be the relationship manager and the broker between the graphic designer and you find somebody who needs graphic design work and you can just connect the dots and you could have no graphic design skills, but you just manage the relationship and take a little profit on top. So it's like, there's so many different ways to like arbitrage on the internet, I think. Absolutely.
1: I had one of my coaching students, his name's Peterson he came up to me recently and he, he was trying to figure out how to do online businesses and stuff. And he's like, I know a lot of people that know they want websites, they need graphic designs, but I don't know how to do that. And so I pointed him to some sites where you can hire graphic designers, website designers. And if you can get the client, you just hire this team and they will do the work and you just figure it out. Okay, they're going to charge me $1,000. I'll charge the client $2,000. And like you said, as a middle person, you're making money there. And so um, he's done very well in doing that. So yeah, you can you can be a website designer, a logo designer, you can offer those services just by finding relationships online that will do the work for you.
0: Totally. Okay, so the last question I ask all my guests is, what is your secret to profiting in life?
1: Secret to profit? Give, give. Yeah, it's just give. People before profits, give to others, pour into others, help others. You'll never go wrong. Going back to my degree in theology, there is a universal principle in all religions that you reap what you sow. I mean, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, there's a universal principle that if you give and um, you sow good, you will reap good. And it works. So just give, help others, serve others, and it will come back. Don't, Don't put money first, but just put people first and you'll always be successful.
0: That's fabulous advice. Thank you so much, Paul. This was such a great conversation. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do?
1: Oh, thank you very much, Holly. It's been my privilege. So probably one of the easiest places is find me on Instagram. Again, my Instagram handle is Paul, it's just P-A-U-L. Follow me on Instagram, send me a message, be more than happy to connect with you. My personal website is paulgetter.com and you can find out all kinds of information about me there.
0: Cool.